Caleb Roach, welcome to the Rest of Us podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you. We uh, we had a Zoom call a couple days ago, and we just like talked for like 45 minutes straight about uh, a bunch of things, and we had to like call it at some point because it's like we got to save some of this for the podcast. So I uh, <laughs> got to continue our conversation here. Um, but before we get into our conversation and kind of talking about your story as an entrepreneur, I'll just have you introduce yourself and introduce your business. Yeah. So my name is obviously Caleb Roach. I'm going to reiterate that. I, I always hate that when people do that, but then I do the same thing. So I can't judge. Uh, <laughs> but my name is Caleb Roach. I live in Oklahoma City, uh, Oklahoma. So kind of in the, the plains area. And I'm a marketing consultant. I own a marketing firm called, we recently rebranded to Club Creative. Um, so we provide marketing consulting services, which include digital marketing, advertising services, all the different things that you would think about marketing. Um, one of the fun things about me is I graduated college at 17 and, uh, I graduated with my mat or not graduated. I'm going to, I messed that one up. I went to college at 17. I graduated at 20 and then I got my master's in business administration by 22. So it's not as impressive as 17, but, uh, still was one of the, uh, youngest graduated from both colleges for both degrees. Yeah, that's very impressive. And we'll definitely get into your story and kind of what led you to get to that point in your life um, and what happened like right after that. So let's just kind of start there. Um, start with your story, kind of where the your entrepreneur entrepreneurial like drive starts um, and how that came to be. Yeah, so we were talking on our Zoom. I had a good laugh about it. Uh, so I always had that like entrepreneur bug, but I was no 12-year-old that was making like millions of dollars. Uh, I started a dog walking service at like 12. I was the weird homeschool kid and I had a lot of time. So I was like, man, I could go walk dogs during lunch when people like I found a product fit. You know, I people go to go to lunch. They have dogs at home. They, they don't want to go home to let them out. So I started charging people five bucks uh, for a visit to go let their dogs out. And I started my local area and I made like, you know, a couple of times like a hundred bucks per day. Um, and I was like, man, this is pretty awesome. So that's kind of what started my entrepreneur journey, let's say. And I always watch things about real estate investing or, you know, YouTube videos about Dave Ramsey or Graham Stephan as he's kind of gotten bigger, those things. But I really never thought I could become an entrepreneur because I don't know about you, but I was kind of raised as like security is everything financially. You know, you want to, you don't want to love money too much, but you want to make sure you're financially stable. And so to me, uh, jumping out onto the entrepreneur side seemed really risky and something that, especially with a family, it's like, man, I don't know if I want to do this. But I learned very quickly that no matter where you work, uh, financial security is never promised. Um, and that's where we were kind of talking. Once I was in the middle of my college degree, I got my first salary job. I wasn't finished with my degree yet, but someone took a chance on me. Ended up getting married, found out we were about to have a baby, um, which was pretty exciting. And I got let go with no notice um, on a Friday. And so uh, with not much in savings and a mortgage coming up, I had to kind of start something on my own. And um, we can talk more about kind of the transition from that, but it was a really good lesson to me of, you know, you can never trust someone fully um, with your financial security or your future and you kind of have to put it in your own hands. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I also like you wasn't really ready to start my business, but it kind of came to be where it was like, okay, I guess we're doing this now. And I've talked to like other entrepreneurs where it's like, you know, something comes up, whether it like for me, it was the pandemic. I think that kind of like, that wasn't entirely the the reason, but it kind of pushed a lot of different things around my life, whether college or the job market to force me to start my business. For some people, it was back in 2008 when they're in the financial crisis. Um, for you, it was getting laid off in, from this job with no notice. Like, I feel like there's things, 
you know, some entrepreneurs just choose to do it and they, you know, do it as a, a side gig and during their part time. But for people like us, like there's some life event that forces us to, you know, be like, I guess I'm doing this now. Like I wasn't ready. I wanted that stability nine to five, you know, $60,000 a year job, but uh, that's not available to me anymore or that never was available to me. And so uh, we just have to do everything on our own and work hard and grind and uh, make our business and build our business because that's the only choice we have. When it's like it's it's like everything in life, you know. <clears throat> I know the guy. It was kind of a small business that I got laid off of, and so the, the my my boss at the time, I probably I hate using the word hate, but I was not very happy with him for like a solid year. It's like, man, this guy ruined my life. You know, put my family in in trouble and everything. And now we're good buddies because I look back, and that was the one of the single most greatest turning points of my life of realizing like put me on the right trajectory. And if I'd stayed there another year, probably would have life would have ended up way differently and probably not in the same situation, which I'm grateful for. So there's moments that you in the moment are like, man, this is and it's like business ownership. There's moments when you're on the downhill spine where you're like, man, this is why did I do this? Like, what am I in here for? And then when you hit that like point where you continue the upward trajectory, man, I'm glad I made this decision. I'm glad this happened because it really changed my life. Absolutely. Did you ever walk up to that that guy and be like, "Hey, thanks for laying me off"? Because I feel like well, that's so. That it's funny because do. I have we we have a relationship uh, close enough that I actually rented an office space from him about uh, six months ago for a little bit, and we had the relationship where I could walk in and I'm like, "Hey, we're coming up on like three years of you laying off. We should do like a anniversary dinner or something." And like we've tried, we've kind of made it a joke now. So. Uh, yeah. we, I, I kind of go up to him and kind of give him some grief about it. And then he kind of p- hits me back because I wasn't the best employee. So he'll say, man, now, now with your employees, you get to learn, you know, kind of what, what I went through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really funny. Yeah. I, I could it's do the same thing with the company that I thought I was going to get a job with and it didn't. I could be like, Hey, thanks for not offering me that job because that kind of changed my whole life. Um, but let's kind of get into, you know, in college, you get laid off from your job, um, still in college, uh, right? You're kind of yep. working through that. So um, at this point, I think is when you kind of start your marketing uh, journey and agency journey. So kind of talk about why you decided to go that route and what the like first steps of that business were. Yeah. So it kind of started really, really good because... Um, so it was like January 7th or something like that. I don't know the specific date that I actually got laid off. But what's coincidentally funny is the previous year, which was less than a month before December 20th of 2018, I started my LLC, Search Consulting LLC, because I had found out that, you know, there's this way that you can basically provide marketing services and you can do it while you're full time and help people out with marketing, um, which was my degree and kind of my experience. And so I had started the LLC, I started the bank account, which was hilarious. And so I, again, there was like 50 bucks, hundred bucks in the bank account that we started with. Um, But we started all that process. And so that's the ball had been rolling of, I wanted to provide this marketing consulting service level of not just be a digital agency where we run Facebook ads, but provide marketing services. And so um, <clears throat> I kind of found this this big need, and it's it's kind of interesting. But in college, you learn all this theory, and then you get on the real world, and there's really no implementation of the theory. You know, you might say you might have some client that you're like, man, this is a blue ocean strategy, or we might talk about you know target market or five piece of market, four piece market, like those different types of things, but there's really no one implementing those strategies. No one comes from the back end and says, here's the actual strategy behind what we're doing. We're looking at consumer behavior here. It's just, let's get more leads. And so that was kind of my initial thought of, there's really not that many people in the local area doing that. How can we make that a big possibility here in the the local area? 
And so that's where I started the journey. And then <clears throat> I ended up, I can't say I'm a full entrepreneur because uh, I got laid off in January and May. I graduated and had an opportunity with Inspire Brands, who own Sonic, Jimmy John's, Buffalo Wild Wings, Arby's, Dunkin' Donuts, all those different types. They're like the second largest uh, quick service restaurant chain. And I worked for them for about a year and a half, two, out, two years doing consumer behavior research um, with product testing. So I, that gave me kind of the financial stability that we needed, um, especially with having a kid and being newly married with a mortgage to where we could actually comfortably jump out on our own with a kind of a side hustle to where it produced income and we could comfortably do that. So did that for about two years. And then that's when we really fully stepped into marketing consulting full time and had, you know, the clients that we had built up on the side for the past two years come to fruition to like a full time salary. Yeah, I mean, I I still think you're, you're a full entrepreneur. You know, it's just you you did it in a way that honestly, I think more entrepreneurs maybe wish they could have done because they mm-hmm. maybe it's there's a, there's a balance between you know the struggle and the the grind and the hardship of you know just doing the entrepreneur thing full time and you know trying to find every week getting your paycheck in, and then also like having the balance of uh, having a little bit of, like six months pay um, or six months savings or whatever it is that you have saved up so you can you know, go all out on your marketing uh, agency, building your marketing agency and have a little bit of stability until you get some clients that can allow you to pay yourself. So I, I still think, I think that's kind of, that's the way I wanted to do my business, but I didn't, uh, I kind of went the other way. Other way. Um, but I think a lot of people, you know, if they can have the six month saving, it is a better way to start in a way because you have a little bit more stability um, and can like kind of live your life a little more comfortably while you build your business and still grind and still, uh, you know, build it, but you have that uh, stability, which is really nice to have. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said about like the the pros and cons of each, because there really is pros and cons. Like, you know, even the, even the financial stability piece, having some reserves set back and like the income coming in, there's still been tough times financially when clients don't, you know, clients don't pay invoices or we have a net 60 term and they pay at net 75 and you can't really hit them with 2% interest or 5% interest for 15 days. Cause it's like, 20 bucks, you know, whatever it yeah. is. Um, so that's where it's, it's one of those things. It's the grass is always green on the other side. And so that's where one of the, the key learnings that I kind of wish I had taken from, you know, having the ability to have the financial stability is and having the full-time job is I wish I invested more in the systems, but I jumped right into the sales mode right when I started my business. So I think we kind of discussed this on our zoom call before, but um, <clears throat> one of my biggest pain points still in my business is I'm coming back from building systems that we should have started in the very beginning because I was just always in the grind mode of doing the client work and not working on the client experience. So that's something that we're having to like reel back in with our team and say, Hey, how do we build this client experience that we really want? And we've continued to refine it, but I kind of procrastinated on that for the first two years and I'm kind of paying for it still. Yeah. I I'm also kind of in the point where there's, there's a balance between, you know, the, um, just face to face kind of texting and communicating and emailing back and forth. Like, Oh, how do you want to do this? When do you want to meet? And then also building out the systems of this is the process I go through to, to onboard my clients and build that relationship. And I honestly am kind of leaning towards the process and onboarding kind of side of it because I've had clients that I want to have a more formalized relationship with that is still kind of like, okay, are we shooting this month? You know, like, okay, like how many hours? Like, it's just, you know, you're asking like all these little questions, then you don't really know what the system is where I'd rather be, okay, we're shooting twice this month on the 15th and the 22nd and you're paying me, you know, this much per month, like a retainer kind of deal. And we have all that like kind of system, like the system built out, basically the process built out because 
it just makes everything easier for everybody. And you know, you can go back and change your systems if it for a different client if you know your system needs to be refined. But just having those systems in place and building them early is so important to getting your business uh, built in a very um, just kind of organized way and uh, keeping it organized because it can be trying to like, oh, where's that email that they sent me about this one like payment or like where's that invoice or all these things like it's it can get really hectic really really fast. It can and like you know, one of our big things has been personalization, like making kind of like what you said, keeping it personal and providing cell phone numbers or giving points of contact. But the more you get into it, it's the more that you realize like you have to set boundaries because I'm personally terrible at setting boundaries with clients. Um, my work-life balance is terrible, especially with two kids now. And so it's like always harder to come back and say, Hey, please, you know, don't text or call at 10 o'clock at night, or please, expect a 24 hour response time like we deliver on that. But I think <clears throat> when you get too flexible, it, it kind of limits your capabilities and you kind of have to, you know, backtrack a little bit. And so it's always hard that balance between having systems and not being fully automated, but also not just kind of winging it and then getting to the point where like you lose something or you you drop something behind the cracks because that can happen very easily. Absolutely. And I, I had this situation um happen literally yesterday. I had somebody reach out to me where um, I he wanted aerial drone photography for a construction site, and I was like, "Oh yeah, sure, I do that. I would love to do more of it. It's something. I, it's something I want to grow in my business. I'm glad a client reached out to me and do that." And he was talking, and as he was talking, there were a couple like little red flags that I saw in the process <laughs> where I was like, "This is a little weird," but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and keep this conversation going. And we just kept talking. We talked like all day, just emailing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, which is another red flag. Like, there's no way yep. somebody is just emailing like as soon as you email. Um, and then we got to the, we got all the way to the point where it was like a contract could have been formed. Um, and then he sent a request, and I was like, "Oh, this is what this is really about. Hundred percent a scam." And so that was like a little learning moment for me of like, okay, now I need to like add this into my system of like hopping on like a discovery call or doing some sort of a call or meeting them in person before we even talk anything like money or contract wise, because like little things like that. So like there's, there's all these learning points, every client I onboard or every client that I work with or for me, real estate agent that I work with, I'm constantly refining my system to kind of fit what uh, works for my business works for me, but also works for different clients and also adding the little safeguards and um, things as I have experiences with different clients that, will allow me to you know get paid on time or have a solid contract or you know all these different things like little systems um, like I added paying before you download my for my real estate photos because I had a client an agent who didn't pay me until like a month later twice and so like all these little things of like learning from different clients usually from bad experiences but sometimes for good experiences uh, you know you're refining your system and figuring out what works for your business and what works for your clients yeah, for sure. And there's that balance. I mean, <clears throat> and it gets the stakes get higher as you continue to add more responsibilities or employees or family or clients. Like it's amazing the flexibility that you can have in the beginning about, hey, yeah, you can pay an invoice <clears throat> 15 days late or the personal side. Like, you know, I've had clients that have, you know, like can't pay a car payment or like they're telling me like they're behind on this. And I'm like, I feel weird about this. But at the same time, yep. they're hiring you. And so if you're, you know, that type of thing. So you really can't take the personal side. Like, it's just, it's really strange. Yeah, it is really like hard to balance it. But, um, you know, I, I kind of balance it because I'm a very like empathetic person. I try to like, you know, understand people and meet them where they are and things like that. But um, also, you know, 
understanding like, hey, I need to get paid or I need to meet with you before we do any work or, you know, I need you to be on board with what we're doing here and kind of having those boundaries and kind of hard lines of like, hey, if you're not going to meet for this meeting, like we can't work together because we have to have at least one meeting before we like things like that. I've kind of found are really important to me um, and work for like the best clients. But the ones that are just trying to like cheap out on you, they usually don't work. And then those are the clients you don't really want, which you know makes a lot of sense. Yep. No, that's the beautiful yep. part of it. <laughs> exactly. So, so you, you started your marketing agency, you're bringing on a few clients, um, kind of building up, uh, your, your, uh, your business. What was the kind of the moment where you found like, oh, this is like the first like big client. Like we're, we're kind of here or I can see the light at the end of the tunnel where like we're doing this and it's happening. Yeah, so we had one of our first like big clients that we got <clears throat> was actually a referral from a former coworker that I had um, at Inspire. I get this random email on like a Monday, and I thought it was one of those scam things. I get this random email from this company like on my contact form. Like I very rarely had contact form submissions, especially from like actual legit companies. Yep. And so <clears throat> they're like this big org. It's like a billion dollar company that they're a sub part of. So like. It's not the actual billion dollar company, but it's part of it. And yeah. so we were, uh, they sent a submission in and it's like, hey, so and so referred us. I'd love to have a conversation about this. And I'm freaking out because like I'm Googling and I'm like, oh my gosh, like how did they find us? Like it's literally probably we have a team of one or one to three people at this point and it's like really small. And I mean, the most I'm used to charging on like engagements are a thousand, fifteen hundred bucks a month. And like that's, a lot for a lot of people. Like I've had people that are like, I want to spend two fifty. So like I'm like, yeah. how do I price my services? Like, do I do hourly? Do I do it? Do I yep. keep a retainer? And so I'm like freaking out. And so like I sit there for a couple minutes and I'm like, I respond back. I'm like, hey, would love to jump on a Zoom call. Let's do it. We jump on a Zoom call like the next day, <clears throat> and they had been searching for an agency for a while, couldn't find the right one. So I'm like nervous because I sent out this quote that I've like never sent out in my life. And it's not absorbing it, but like it's good money to me. Like there's yeah. good margins. And I sent it off. And the next day I get a response back. Hey, we're ready to go. Let's start being like, send us over the contract. Like we're going to begin. And yeah. I'm like, what? And so I yeah. was like freaking out. Like how does, and so I found out we were still cheaper because we're in the Oklahoma City market. We're still cheaper than most agencies in big markets because we don't have the overhead that most agencies do and we're cost of living so much cheaper. So um, we don't have, you know, six figure salaries that we have to start people out at, at a, you know, a standard agency out of college. And yeah. so uh, we started with that and that's what really made things come alive because it was that like that business that we needed to give us that push of like, we're at, there's a chance that we're actually going to be successful. We're not just doing a local service down here that, we're getting boutiques. Like we have a nationwide firm now that, you know, we're representing that's a big side of that. And so what that happened was that's where our referral business came in really clutch because that started, we proved ourselves on that piece and we continued to be open up to different parts of their company and provide services and start contracts within different variations of their company. And so that's where it got to the point where, man, like there is the potential that like this, you know, you never know who you could be working with in six to 12 months. And again, it takes time. It takes connections. But that's what really pushed us into that next step of we can hire more employees. We can do X. We, we're not just limited to small businesses. Like we can do these larger companies and they're impressed with our work. Because you, you, know, you compare yourself. Let's say like I compare myself to 
Mother LA and like these big agencies, Vayner oh, yeah, Media, yeah. and it's like they have a staff of five thousand people, and they've got they're a holding company that has six different agencies below it. And you're like, how am I ever going to compete with that? Like any client, yeah. like what are we going to compete with? But there's market fit, and sometimes we forget that, and so that's where one of those things that it starts to like push you a little bit farther into like, oh, there is an opportunity here. Yeah. And and one of the other things that kind of comes out of those clients um, that I have found, well, I, I'm probably, I'm not at the size of you, but I'm still getting these like bigger deals, I would say bigger in my perspective, is you you get to build out those systems that you can then, it kind of accelerates how you approach other companies. So, you know, I got my first event client and now I kind of have my pricing built out for events. So whenever somebody emails me, me for a quote, I can kind of just run it through my system of, hey, this is how much I would charge. This is how much, you know, flights cost and travel and all this kind of stuff. So you already have kind of the information because pricing out that first client and figuring out that first client and how you want to work with them, it's the hardest thing ever. It's so hard to kind of figure out. But once you get that first client and first system built, you can then kind of build that out, kind of going back to systems, build that out and figure out how you want to inter- interact with future clients on the financial side and also on the delivery side and the just project management project management. I cannot talk project management side. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's the thing. I think you can never predict where your business is going to go. And so that's where back to the conversation about systems and processes. Sometimes you can't predict what systems you need, but it's always good to continue to represent. Like we're starting to kind of take this philosophy of always be prepared and have that next step ready that, you know, as we have more time, as we can build out systems, what's going to be the next need that we have and how do we predict that? Um, That's like the biggest step. You know, it's, you never, you always think that, someone like you'll never get that next step or that next client. And there was a good podcast I listened to about imposter syndrome. You always have this imposter syndrome as you move up the the totem pole, because you're in, you're in this new space that you haven't been in, but it's because you're starting to learn how to work in that new space. And it's just a continuous cycle. So it's really fascinating. Yeah. I love that you mentioned imposter syndrome because I feel like that hits really hard with creatives and, you know, marketing people, especially, uh, one thing that I've kind of tried to get away from is talking about like, oh, I'm a new business or I'm a younger business or I'm a smaller business. And like, I think that there's still some truth to that, but it's also like kind of balancing, like speaking how I am as a business, but also having the confidence to say like, I am, I'm not a young videographer. I'm not a new videographer. I'm just a videographer. I'm just mm-hmm. an event photographer. I'm not, you know, like, oh, I've only done one event. Like, no, I'm an event photographer who has done events. Just like, Talking about yourself like you are doing what you want to do or what you're doing, what you do and want to do is so important to kind of give yourself the confidence because if you talk about it, you're going to have a little more confidence there, but also portraying that to your potential clients of like, hey, I'm an event photographer. This is how much I charge. This is how much my time is worth. And, you know, having the confidence to present those numbers because that's people respect confidence and they, they understand that and the right fit clients are going to respect that and work with you. Well, and that's my thing. I think if you're, and it seems like when you do it the right way and you phrase yourself in a way that's confident, but also like specific on what you can do in your capabilities and you're not over exaggerating, that's like the best point that you can be in in business. And I'm still learning that. Like it, it stinks because we're almost five years into this and I'm like still trying to figure out the confidence versus too prideful versus yeah. not confident enough. And that's the tough part is you you walk into these com- these companies and you don't want to go too far. You know, we've had we had a local service business here in the local area that we've generated like a four times return on investment. And again, there's companies that do ten times return on investment, but for a company that's local services, they're making four dollars per every dollar they spend on advertising and everything. That's huge for them because it you mm-hmm. know they, it's profitable. And so yeah. 
for them, they've spent a significant amount of money and they've made a significant amount of money. So I, when I, we walk into a business, I'm like, this is what we did for them. This is what they've seen. We can't promise that, but we know what we can do and we know that it works. And absolutely. The, the problem is sometimes there are people and it seems to ruin industries like ours where people walk in the door and they're like, we can guarantee you a 10 times return on investment. And you give us a dollar, like $10, we're going to make this money printing machine. And with both of our industries, it's kind of like the photographer. If someone's first time event, they come in, they're like, I'm experienced. Here's my rates. Some coach told me to charge $10,000 for a wedding and they showed me what to do. And then the minute that someone like has, there's an event where like they don't capture a picture, like something crazy happens, they forget that ruins their entire thing. And so that's where I've always been taught you're getting paid for your expertise and knowledge and anyone can duplicate your systems. Anyone can have the system that brings in X, but what companies are paying for is they're paying for your knowledge, your expertise and the things that you've encountered and the things that you've solved. So, you know, clients aren't paying us because we know how to run a Facebook ad because I can tell you there are thousands of agencies out there that can probably run, if not better, the same amount of Facebook ads that we run. But what makes it different is we can predict some of the systems that they might need. So there's always that yeah. difference. And that's where we've been revealed to, you know, you always think the system side, I can't give away my systems. I can't give my secret sauce. The secret sauce is you and your company and your employees and what you do. Um, Absolutely. Some companies will choose, like in your industry, we'll choose a photographer. We have a established photographer that we've been working with for years I won't really entertain offers from any other photographer at this point of if they came to us and said, Hey, we'll do it cheaper. We'll do it higher quality because we have that established relationship. And so that's where there's that balance between going in and being confident and like, Hey, this is what we do. But at the same time, you can screw yourself very quickly by kind of over promising and under delivering. (laughs) Yeah. And I think I was, I was listening to a podcast. It's about real estate photography specifically. And they, it was a, a group or two businesses. They merged together to kind of grow their business in different areas of the, of the, um, LA area that they're working in, uh, Ventura County, I guess. And they talked about kind of, you talked about how, you know, they're, they're paying for your expertise and they're paying for, they're really paying for you, especially in like when you're kind of starting out, they're paying for you to come into their business and say, let's do this, this and this. They're not paying for, you know, one of your sales associates or somebody that you contract out to to come in and do that. And those things can kind of evolve as your business grows. But in the beginning, they're paying for you to come in and make all all these decisions. And this real estate uh, company was, you know, having that issue where they would, they hired a couple of photographers, they expanded their business, they got really successful, which is exactly what they should be doing. But some of the realtors would be like, oh, I want Mark to come and photograph this house. Or I want, you know... This other guy to, I want the guy that owns the company to come and do that because I've worked with him for five years. And they had to kind of train their agents to understand like, hey, we have in-house photographers. We have staff photographers. They're fantastic. We've trained them ourselves. They're going to do a great job like we do. We just aren't in that business part anymore. And um, I think this kind of leads into something else we talked about on the Zoom call, which was being a traditional agency kind of versus, you know, some of these like, newer agencies and newer models of outsourcing and contracting out. And I think <laughs> there's a time and place for contracting out and outsourcing your work. Um, and it, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but for you and I, we both are kind of trying to build very traditional business models in a way. Um, so kind of talk about how you see your business model in a traditional way and why you've chosen not to you know, outsource to grow your business, because I think that's a really easy thing to do to add more services to your business. 
Yeah. And I, I'm glad that we kind of uh, align on this after our call because I feel like we're best friends now because we really had a <laughs> yeah. bonding moment on that, on that Zoom call. <laughs> but, yeah. But, um, I, I really think, and again, everything that I believe is not liquid gold. Like I think there's pros and cons to every model and everything that happens. But the way that we've kind of approached it is we try to have local people that we work with that if they're contractors or they're like individuals that can provide services, if we, someone outsourced, but not even white label, we make the introduction and we might package it together to make it, you know, help with them, but we keep the same pricing. I think there's a lot of value to that because, you know, if you have someone in a local market or even just in like the US in general, when we're, when we're delivering ads to a specific population, having that local feel and that local understanding of, you know, what's happening in that environment, because I think on one piece, specifically for our business, if we tried to advertise in the UK right now, let's say, we'd probably do a terrible job because I don't keep up with UK politics. I don't keep up with UK environment. I mean, is our economy as trash as ours? Is it as good as ours? Is it bad as ours? Like what's going on? Is the market crashing? Is the market going up? And all those different pieces really, they work with marketing. And not a lot of people like to think about it like that, like that but it's true. Like if consumer spending is down, not saying we're not going to get any spending, but if consumer spending is down, credit cards are up on the rise for you know balances, and the standard consumer now has $80,000 worth of debt, is it going to be as easy to get them to spend $50,000 on a pool or $25 on a product? Like They might start... Those, those different types of things like might start slowing down. So when it gets into that piece, it's really good to have the local understanding of how things work in that local area or that, na- that national side as well. So the way that we've approached things is we've hired locally, we've hired individuals on a salary basis or, you know, pay per hour basis or whatever that looks like. And we try to compensate what they're worth. Like we try not to set up minimum wage or what we can, what, what we can minimally get away with. And we like to provide benefits because I think that's a big piece. And so the way that we've approached it is when our clients come to work with us, I don't want to find the cheapest way that I can get the work done. I want to find the highest quality, even if it means I'm losing money for the first couple of months. Because to me, I think if you can establish a really good relationship with the client and show them the work that you're doing and you can feel good about like you're not charging them, let's say $1,500 a month and paying someone 300 bucks a month in hours because you're paying them five to $10 as a virtual assistant overseas and making $1,200 just off the, off the rec go from having someone else because you've ultimately deceived a client at that point. Yeah. I think there's a time and a place for. Like we've done it on photos, like on Fiverr, we've gone, we needed like a background removed. And instead of us going in and spending hours, we had someone, we outsourced a background remover. But I think there's a big difference between like a per project basis, like, hey, we need someone that's really talented at this. We can get, you know, we are a little bit over budget right now. We're not going to charge a client. We need something fast and efficient. Here's this method. But when you base your entire business model around it, it seems like a deception. And it's also, also doesn't seem like you're setting yourself up for success on the business side because you get so much on the job experience. It's like, a, you know, if you're, if you own a painting company and you've never painted in your life, but you're hiring these people, the, the issues that you're encountering when you're talking to a customer, you're not gonna be able to talk the lingo. Like if paint dries differently and you're like, well, I don't know why that is. Let me talk to my guys versus when you yeah. can walk in and say, well, we painted the wrong brush strokes, you know, right here and we should have done it that way. We'll fix that up. Those different types of interactions is huge because it might not feel like a lot, but that could change your business very quickly. Oh, 100%. And when you're talking about, I was thinking like, 
you know, if, if a client comes back to me and says like, Hey, there's this issue with this, this, and this, and I've outsourced to, you know, Vietnam, they're asleep when I'm awake or something like that. And like, and if I don't know how to make that fix or I can't go in and make that fix, I have to email them back and say like, Hey, my editor is, you know, I, my, I can't, I'm not available to make this fix right now. I'm going to, I'll make this fix when I can. That just kind of creates a, a big issue there. And for me, kind of my experience with outsourcing is going to be in real estate photography where, you know, editors are very common in real estate photography. And I've experienced, experimented with using them in the past. And, you know, it, but I also still know how to use, or how to edit my own photos. Like I have a builder I just worked with and I'm going to edit all those own, all those photos myself because I only trust myself to deliver that quality. But I've also experimented with, you know, how can I maximize my time with this business and outsource my editing there? So it's kind of a balance there. But um, I think when, especially with my core business, and how I want to build it, I'm definitely thinking about, you know, hiring in house and having that, you know, the face and the team, because not only are you building a better business overall for your customers, but you're building a better business for yourself because you have that team to work with. You have those people that are going to be with you day to day that are going to uh, be able to work with and be in person or, you know, work with you and know what the whole business is about, as opposed to, you know, the the person on Fiverr, or the person of work that's out of out of the country that is working on fifty different clients, and they don't really care like what your business is about. They just care about delivering the work for you know pennies on the dollar, and then that just kind of hurts your overall business dynamic if you're trying to build an actual like company and have that culture. I think is really important. Yeah, no, I agree, and I think that's the piece is. Your business is so reliant on everything that you do. And so if you hire, let's say if your business model around, like this is the one thing that I've always thought about. I don't like having my business in the hands of others. Like there are times that like you have to have employees that you can rely on. And like our team has continually delivered and shown why I can trust them to, you know, I have to put a lot of, they, as much as they have to put trust in me of like, I pay them every, like to make sure that we can provide at the same time, like I have to trust that my team is going to deliver on the timelines that we've this, you know, discovered or promised or whatever that looks like. And I have to take the brunt. Like if our team delivers, we've taken methodology. If our team delivers late, typically it's because I haven't provided something or I haven't given enough time or whatever that looks like. So in my opinion, that's my fault. My, that's not my mm-hmm. team's responsibility. They can follow up, but if I'm not delivering on what I need, that's my fault. So I have to take the blame for it and the responsibility. So to me, I don't want to rely on someone that I don't can't talk to on a daily basis or say, yeah. hey, like you never know if you if you built your business around this delivery model of someone overseas or someone that isn't around. Even in like, let's say we hired someone in Pennsylvania and we in, or in Oklahoma and we had this agreement set up. If life changes, if we've built our entire business model around having someone else deliver all of our content. If they find a higher paying job, if they find a better opportunity, if they find anything else and they leave, what happens to our business? It's gone. Yeah. Like it yeah. legitimately is gone until you find. So it's part of business seems to be setting up systems and processes to avoid any sort of business disruption, especially if you have established clients and a, a big client list. Exactly. Yeah. And so I kind of want to get into the hiring aspect a little bit because um, that's something that, you know, in the future when I grow my business, I really want to be able to hire somebody and hire out, you know, the areas that I don't want necessarily want to do on a daily basis or are not as strong in and then focus on the areas that I enjoy and am strong in. So for me, you know, that's, that's video editing. That's, you know, the more very creative and technical side of it. I love the biz dev side of it. I love onboarding clients, talking to clients, meeting people, networking. Like I love that. And I'll still do the creative stuff. Like I still want to be on shoots every day. If I hire somebody, I'm still going to go there and be there. But I really want to hire like a creative director or an editor 
that can come in and take the skill that they really love and, you know, share their skill with my clients and help us grow the business on that side. So for you, kind of where was the moment where you were like, okay, it's time to hire? And how did you make the decision on the first people to hire? Um, and what was the kind of thought process behind that? Um, it, was, it was so scary hiring my first employee because I was freaking I out. I was like, I am barely like, not barely able to pay myself, but like there's always those thoughts. Like if something happens in our business and we have business disruption, like the first thing that happens is I don't take as much of a paycheck or yeah. like if we don't have the operating reserves, like I will avoid taking income to make sure that that happens. And so it's always been the scariest point of my business because like the way that I'd previously been set up was we just basically took, you know, we took payment but then we also took owner draws so it was more around how how well is the business doing can we keep reserves what does that look like and so for me i did not have the six months of reserves to hire an employee like i didn't have you know let's say 30 to fifty thousand dollars saved up for my first employee which maybe i should have done it but that was almost a year and a half ago and so we've actually two years ago um so you know obviously we've survived and had employees but um we it was probably the scariest moment of my life because I didn't know what that looked like because yeah. as I've learned with employees, not only does it take the time to recruit and find the right employee, but then you also need to set the right responsibilities and the right expectations, which I've continued to learn how to to do. And I'm still learning very good about <laughs> a lot about how I can do that better, but there's a lot that goes into it on that piece. But then what a lot of people don't talk about is the actual time cons- time consumption that it takes to continue to train and teach your employees on best practices within our own agency. Because we might have a really talented graphic designer, but if they came from a different agency that delivered things differently, we have to set up, how do we set up expectations on timeframe? How do we set up expectations on what meetings they're in? How do we set up expectations on what is a proper delivery time within different projects? And how how do I best communicate those to someone? So if I'm talking to a client, we have a graphic designer, do I like, do I call that graphic designer after and say, Hey, here's our project. What timeline do I give? Do I give a a generic timeline that we can know that we can deliver on? So there's so many different pieces that I didn't expect hiring to take so much of my time, but it was a positive on that piece as well. Like it sounds like a negative and it really stinks in the moment because you don't realize how much time it takes, but the time that you invest in those employees and the people really pays off in the long run. And so for me, the process started as we got a big client that needed social media and they were willing to pay us an, a pretty good chunk of money to manage their social media accounts as there was a big opportunity in their bigger company. And so they were close to probably 500 million. So obviously they're not looking at us like, Hey, we'll pay you 25 bucks per month or yeah, you know, something like exactly. that. Like they were willing yeah. to pay. So at that point I like looked at the budget. I'm like, I don't have the skill set. Like I, I can do social media posting, but I don't have the skill set to be able to like reasonably say like I know all of the strategies. So I ended up finding someone from college that came in and I offered them a full time job to come in and manage the social media plus other clients. And it worked out really well because we were able to pay her salary based on two clients alone, but then she mm-hmm. could provide services for let's say 10 clients. And so I had I could step out of the social media posting and she could take time off my hands without losing a, a substantial amount of revenue. Um, exactly. So that's how we kind of started. And then what's interesting is the anxiety hasn't stopped every time I hire an employee. But what's interesting is, is it's like putting money into a Roth IRA. It's really scary even if you start with $100 per month. But the minute yeah. you start like seeing that come out, like $100 per month come out of your account and it's no longer scary of like, oh man, I have to budget you know $1,200 or $5,000 just for retirement that I'm not going to see for 30 years. 
you start getting right. Re- and then you were like, man, I'm doing a hundred. It's comfortable. Now I'm going to do 200 and I'm seeing. And so it, it's, it becomes one of those things that it gets scary, but then you're like, man, I've done this for, you know, a year and we've, we haven't not been able to pay our bills. We've paid all of our employees. Like we can start to build that. And so that's where it's this constant cycle of anxiety. And then you're like, Oh, it's not as bad as I thought. And so yeah. um, that's been one of the things. And then, Obviously, hiring comes with its challenges of making sure that you hire the right people, that you set the right expectations. And I think from one business owner to the other, I think that's been my biggest learning recently is how do we set good expectations for as a smaller company paying as well as we reasonably can and providing really good benefits to our employees, but also expecting the same quality in return. Um, And so we're a very flexible work environment. We all work from home. We believe in kind of the model that you know, we don't believe that people should clock in from eight to five. Like we don't expect our employees to work 60 hours a week and break their backs. But if you have a doctor's appointment at two o'clock that you need to go to and we have no meetings, go to it. But at the same time, if, if we have a client call at six o'clock and you haven't worked as much as you probably should be willing to take that client call at six. So there's that balance between being respectful on both ends. And so I think that's been the really hardest challenge is setting up the proper expectations, putting on that boss hat and saying like, a lot of the people that we've hired have been close acquaintances or friends or connections. So putting on that boss hat has been kind of difficult because you don't want to let someone down, but you can't continue to waste or drain money at the same time. Yeah. And one thing I'm writing a note down because I want to ask you about it later, but uh, one thing that I, uh, so I listened to the podcast, Colin, the Colin and Smear show. I don't know if you've heard of it, but um, they're kind of YouTubers, but they talk about the industry of creating and YouTube um, and they hired a couple editors and, um, you know, creative director and people to come in in their office and kind of help them expand their business. And they always talk about hiring. And one thing they say is like, it's that you do it, you're the person you're hiring, you do them a disservice if you're not expecting to train them for six months or a year. You know, you have to bring them in with the expectation that they don't know what your processes are. They don't know what your systems are and how you like your work and the style of delivery that you do. They don't know any of that. So you need to have a little bit of grace, be willing to train them in the first, you know, six months and help them get to the point where they're designing how you want to, what you want, you want your stuff delivered to your client. They're editing the video or they're posting on social media or they're doing the website the way that you guys want to deliver to the client. Like you have to have a little bit of um, grace there to make, help them, uh, you know, get into the business because you're doing a disservice if you don't and you have those high expectations at the beginning. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to ask you about um, is you talked about hiring friends and acquaintances and people like that. What was what has been the hardest part about hiring friends and the people <laughs> that you know and like the like hiring friends and but you're not they're not necessarily your friend in the business. They're like your employee and turning on that like boss you know putting on that boss cap and like because I feel like that would be the hardest thing for me is if I like you know hire somebody off of a six month contract or whatever, I'm like, oh, we're buddies, like we're friends, we're working, but also like there's a business relationship there that we have to, we have expectations and we have to deliver results or this relationship isn't going to work out. Yeah. I think that's been my, my biggest challenge recently because I don't know if there's truly, it's kind of like work-life balance. Like I think it's not a, not an unattainable thing, but I think it depends on what your expectations are and what your like overall expectations are, I guess. So to me, you know, work-life balance looks like me delivering great work to our clients and minimizing as much work as I can and spending the most amount of time with my family as possible with exceptions, because there are some times that I'll travel from 4 a.m. to 10 o'clock at night. 
And then the next day I have to go to another meeting and I can't spend as much time with my family. But now that I know I've worked a lot, I can spend a Friday away from work and helping like help spending time with my family. So I think it's kind of the same thing with hiring friends. I think it's kind of a double-edged sword because it, it can be really effective. Like we have, for instance, like I hired a little bit differently from what I probably should have, but I don't regret it by any means. So we we hired our first social media strategist, and that was kind of my first hire. Um, she ended up working for us for probably close to six to eight months. And while I was doing that, I ended up uh, one of my wife's best friends was working for a company and was not happy. And so I started like, oh, I can hire maybe another employee. And so I was having conversations with her like, she's a really hard worker. And she's been one of our longest standing employees now because I said, hey, come on over, like come work for me. And the way that I structured it was she's my assistant. So again, I'm not at the point where I'm like, I need an assistant. But for me, it was the time that I saved by having an assistant that was really time, like really life changing for me. And so what's even better, she's my wife's best friend. So for like for us, so we have a really strange employment like she, her hours are really strange because some days when I'm traveling and my wife needs a break, like she'll come be nanny for a little bit. And so she'll like okay. take the kids and like let my wife hang out and like get some rest. But at the same time, she still schedules appointments. And so it's like a really strange working environment for her. I'm sure because it's like one day it's like she's scheduling meetings, taking notes agenda. And then the next day it's like, we're our daycare or like our mother's day out program closes. We have sick kids. I have meetings back to back. My wife did not sleep. Like we have like for us, it's, it's worth having that opportunity to have someone help us out. And so yeah. it's a really, and again, those are kind of unicorns to find, but we found that it's worked so far for the past year and a half of the structure. And so that's worked out really well. But then on the other piece, like we've had friends that I started out being a little bit too much of a friend, like as we were starting that conversation around, okay, what does this look like? If you came and worked with us, what does that role look like? And then I like have this dramatic shift in my mind of like, okay, now, like if I talk to them for an hour on the phone about more like what's going on in the life, like not that we don't want that and not that we're focused around every minute on company time is product, like product pr productive and like making money. But I realized like, I can't have these hour long phone calls with people that I'm like losing an hour of their productivity and I'm paying them for this. Yeah. Um, so that's been the really hardest shift for me is like, how do you cult, like foster a really positive culture around like a really positive team environment, but at the same time also getting work done. But I think that that happens organically is what I'm learning. And it's not something that can be forced. Like you have to set proper expectations, set, set those up. But like, we don't have a, we have a structured team call, but at the same time we don't. We have like, we don't set like for the first five minutes, we I've heard people say like for the first five minutes of one-to-ones and team calls you spend and ask about the weekend, we might go like 15 minutes or we might go five yeah. minutes. But sometimes that really helps because we can set the tone of like, how is everyone's weekend? And we hear about someone that might've had like a really bad weekend or had a great weekend. And we're not looking at the clock like, okay, we're running over like this is an hour of unproductive time. It allows for us to connect and really like get back with each other. Yeah. I 100% agree. I think it's important to kind of build the system or build the again, going back to systems, but also just build the kind of employment structure and relationships um, organically over time. But also like just do what works for you. Like yeah. I, I have, um, I, I have an internship still technically that I'm kind of leaving in, in May to go full time with my business. But I've had three different bosses over the over the 
almost two years I worked there and our, you know, our one-on-one meetings were extremely different. You know, in the beginning, it was very much like businessy and like I was still learning the company and um, kind of learning what to do. And then the second boss I had, it was very, very businessy, like very much like down to like, what are you doing? What projects are you working on? Like, how can I help? All those kind of things. And then the third boss I had who had actually hired me originally and was in my first interview call, we've known each other obviously for two years since we worked at the company. Our meetings are half you know, business and half talking about, you know, Purdue basketball or talking about just like all these different things because like, or talking about like his house, like he just had a, a house emergency and like, oh, how's that going? Like all these different things. So like, our, it, just, just, it just depends on what works for you. So like, if you're all business with somebody, that's fine. If you, you know, half the meeting is uh, just talking about life and then half is like business because you trust that person to get things done, like that's fine too. I think it, I think it's important not to force one one or the other onto people and just let it, like you said, organically over time build up and they'll be more comfortable to, you know, share more or get things done or, you know, come to you when there's issues or come to you when they have an idea for a new, um, you know, creative strategy or business strategy that they want to pursue. I think it's just really important to keep it, keep the relationship organic and uh, let it build over time because, you know, in in life and in business, those that's how it just kind of has to happen. It has to happen organically. It can't be forced because then it's just not going to happen. Well, I think something to your point too is I think like it depends on the season that you're in too because like if we're in a really busy season, our team calls might be like straight into we jump on at 10 and then we're like talking for two minutes. Everyone gets in. It's like, all right, we've got a lot to talk about. Let's get all these figured out. And then some weeks it's like we've got nothing on the calendar for the first two days of the the week. And it's just like, okay, we're doing deep work. Here's what we're doing. Here's thoughts. Let's talk a little bit more about this or you know, like for us, like we went through a rebrand and we're still going through it. And it's because we had, we've had no time. I mean, granted you always could be more productive, but yeah, we've had no time to like be able to pull back and talk about that. So sometimes we'll talk 30 minutes about a rebrand and like positioning how we want to do things. And so I think it's really important to have systems like we talked about, but have that flexibility that it depends per person, per, per season in life you're doing per week that you're in. Like it really depends. And maybe that methodology, maybe I'll get a couple more employees down and be like, Hey, that's completely changed. But for yeah. the season that we're in and the employees that we have, that seems to be the best working environment. Well, and I think, you know, you talked about like the methodology changing via the employee. I think it might, you know, stay the same, but it's just because it hasn't formed organically, like, you know, throughout yep. the years. So like your employees that you had since day one are like the assistant. You said that like nannies for you, that relationship has been built over years and, you know, over time. But if you hire somebody day one, that you know, you might get to that more personal relationship in year two or year three because it just happened over time, and you know it took a little bit of time for them to come out of their shell and kind of work hard and show you what what they're how they want to work. So I think it really just depends on um, kind of the employee, the time, um, and also just kind of the yeah the season. Like you said, uh, the season super important. This podcast only came out of when I had zero real estate work in the winter because a December real estate agents don't work like some of them do most yeah. of them don't they are always either at parties they're traveling they're on vacation or they're just not working so for me i was like oh that that means like half my business is just gone and like holiday season obviously <laughs> that doesn't help either so i was like what do i do oh i can like you know figure out a little bit of social media strategy or i can work on the building this podcast and design this and reach out to a bunch of guests and hopefully get a couple of episodes like built out so yeah, I think the seasonality of of our businesses, our businesses and our industries is super important because it it can be rough when you have no work, but it also allows you to 
like, oh, I really wanted to redesign our website or rebrand. Like, you know, the, the, you know, July, let's say is our really slow season for whatever. July would never be a slow season, but let's say July is your slow month. And, you know, you're going to say like, okay, July is the month that we, you know, rebrand, we redesign our website, we redo our colors. Like that's, that's the time to do it. So I think it is really important to just kind of figure out what works in your business. And that comes over time. Um, and it really every aspect, it's not just hiring. It's not just, uh, you know, your time. It's, it's every aspect of your business. You have to just let it form organically because anything forced isn't really going to work in my opinion. Yeah. And I will say, so like the one call out that I've really tried to work on and I probably should have asked my employees to see like if I'm good at this, but yeah. we try to keep like a really good environment around. Cause I think one of the big calls as business owners that we have to be really cognizant of when we're hiring is we can't expect our employees to take on the amount of work that we do or the mental yep. load that we do at the same time. So there's kind of that commonality between business owners. Like we take on the risk, we take on the responsibility and we're taking on the fact that we can make a significant amount of money if we work really hard. But at the same piece, your employees are working for you for the financial security. And maybe like there's some incentive like, hey, you get equity or you get this piece of a compensation. But I think one of the things that I've tried to be cognizant of because I've seen it play out really bad before is employees are like, well, you're my you're my employee now. You know, as a business owner, you need to work as much as you can and you need to do this because we're really drowning in work or we're really we need yeah. more business. And again, like sometimes there are buckle up moments and we have to do this. But as a boss, it's kind of in a small business owner, it's your primary responsibility to make sure there's enough income coming in and there's enough like business and business flowing. But you can't take the financial aspects and the financial stress and say, well, we're really struggling right now and expect your employees to take on that burden. Because when finances are really good, like you're not talking to them like, okay, we're going to give everyone 25% of the income. But when it comes down to financial stress, it's like everyone needs to pull 25% of the weight and you can't put that like reasonably on someone because it's not fair to them. Yeah. I have learned through, you know, hard conversations and just overall life, like nobody's going to understand how much I work for my business. Like it just, like other, only other founders and owners will understand that because, you know, like I'm like, like Christmas Eve, I was still working. My mom was like, you know, it's Christmas Eve. Come watch a Christmas movie with us. And I was there on my laptop, you know, looking for podcast guests and, you know, looking for potential realtors to work with and all this kind of stuff. And then Christmas Day, I took off. But then, like, the next day, I was still working and, like, you know, 2 a.m., like, editing. Like, I have to get this out for that client. It has to be in their inbox by 8 a.m. or whatever. Like, all these different things. Like, it is just natural to me. It's just what I have to do, whether I want to or not. It just is what I have to do. And most of the time, I do enjoy it. And I do, like, just enjoy the grind and enjoy, you know, the hard work I have to put in now because, um, you know, I'm going to see that success in the future, hopefully. But I just kind of learned like there are certain things I don't talk about anymore or like I only talk about with certain people because like they just don't understand. And it's kind of like just it, it seems awful to them. But it's like mom, mom it specifically, my mom like thinks I'm absolutely yep. crazy because yep. like for for instance, uh, a couple weeks ago, Half Moon Bay, the hat, we, I went to uh, San Francisco. So I had this mm -hmm. I had a client in close to San Francisco and like an outside town. And then the yeah. next day I had Denver scheduled and then I had a Chicago trip and then I came back or Minneapolis. And so I went from Chicago from San Francisco. I went to San Francisco and I left on a Wednesday at uh, a Tuesday at like 6 p.m. And to make sure that like I could spend time with my family before I go on this trip. So I yeah. leave at 6 p.m. I get in at midnight in San Francisco and I like I was staying with my buddy. So he picks me up. I'm not in bed until probably one or two in the morning. The next yep. morning at 4 a.m., I go pick up my rental car or 5 a.m. 
I get the rental car, I drive out on a facility. And again, there's flexibility. Like I say this story, I'm like, I'm out there from five, I leave at 5 a.m. I get done at four o'clock. I then go and I like go check out Half Moon Bay because I have a couple hours. And like, it was great. But then I get back, I spend some time with my buddy. I work a little bit more. I go to bed at midnight. I wake up at 4 a.m. I drop off the rental car. I fly to Denver, same day. And then like that next day, I fly into Denver at six. I leave at five in the morning. I get into Denver. The next evening, I'm leaving. Or that same day, I'm leaving Denver at eight o'clock at night. I get into Minneapolis. Like it, it, it's one of those things. And then I get back home. I spend time with family. They all pass out. And then it's midnight and I'm still doing work because I'm behind. Yeah. And it's those moments where like I've worked 120 hours before and it felt like nothing. But people would think that'd be absolutely insane to do. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. It just, it goes back to kind of like not putting that on your employees either. It's like you are the only one in that company that is and should be working 120 hours. You know, it just, it just is what it is. And, you know, like you said, like a lot of, some people are just going there for the nine to five job. Like they just want that paycheck and that's what you're hiring them for. Like, you know, you're not hiring them to be a co-founder or a, you know, um, a business partner. You're hiring them to be an employee. And that just kind of, it is what it is, how the relationship should be. So you know, those expectations are, uh, it's hard or it shouldn't, you shouldn't put them on that, that employee. Yeah, no, I agree. But, that's, and that's the thing. I think a lot of people have these, these expectations, like I'll pay them the minimal amount of money that I can pay them in a salary and expect them to work as much as possible. And it's not yeah. really a good expectation to have. Exactly. So coming, coming to the end of the podcast, I just want to ask uh, one last question. Are there any like kind of bigger like tips that you have for uh, entrepreneurs that you could give? Um, like what are some of the biggest things that you would give to a younger, a younger entrepreneur? Don't do starting it. <laughs> it's a trap. <laughs> do it. You'll spend a lot of time. I mean, no, just kidding. No, I, yeah. I, I think like if you're not willing to work, like I think you should probably avoid doing it. But um, I don't know. There's a lot that I've learned, but I think one of the biggest things that I've learned over the past couple of years that I think have been the biggest takeaway from business ownership is flexibility is a must too. So one of the things that I've like never understood about myself, but yet I still go in this circle is I will go and let's say I got, I got out of my, out of my nine to five to be a full-time business owner. And the reason I did that was I wanted flexibility when it came to my family, when it came to my work and when it came to like relationships and friendships and flexibility when it comes to travel. For some reason, when I'm a business owner, I probably stress out more than I do as a nine to five worker. And so I end up working more. I end up not being as flexible because, man, we can't go on this trip because I've got another client visit or I've got this. And it's amazing to me because I'm like, I'm like lying to myself because I got into this business. And again, there's short-term and long-term thinking that I'm you still have to think about like you sometimes have to do the hard work in the short term to get the long-term effect of I'm able to travel a lot more. We have people that handle things, but when it comes down to it, I've learned that I have to be more flexible on myself that I can take an evening off and spend time with my family. Because if I don't, it's kind of ridiculous that I got into this to spend more time with my family. And yet at like six o'clock, I'm still working like, Oh man, I'm, I'm so behind. I need to work on this when I know I'm always going to be behind. So why not spend some really quality time with my family? And then do a little bit more in the morning or in the evening when they all go to bed, like their own moments like that. So I think that's been my biggest takeaway is the anxiety that I have for, like we talked about those client meetings, like I'm getting anxious about, we haven't done all these deliverables that I'm hoping and the client's going to be mad and I show up and they're excited about what we've done so far. 
you have to get yep. rid of those. It's, I don't think you can ever get rid of those, but you always have to be reprogramming your mind of like, these are not going to be as tough of conversations as I want. And if they are, maybe it's teaching me something. And at the same time, I need to be gracious with myself that I'm working really hard. And if I put this amount of effort into a company, they would be so amazed and so proud. I need to yeah. be more like appreciative of myself with this business and be really proud of what I've built. But it's it's hard as entrepreneurs and business owners. Yeah, it really is. I've I've kind of had to take a really hard stance on like balancing like how much, you know, like free time do I give myself versus how much like work time do I give myself because I think it's really important, you know, like when the weather gets nicer out here, like I really want to go outside and like go on a walk or go on a hike or whatever and like clear my head in that way, but also like I I earn that by working really hard all day. So it's like it's balancing both. Like it you you earn the flexibility of being an entrepreneur. But you also are now taking on all of the responsibility of building a business. So you have to really like understand both sides because the flexibility only be- comes with you know building a really success- a successful business and working really hard. Because at the end of the day, you have everything else that is just life. You have your mortgage, you have your car payment, you have your family, you have taxes, you have all these expenses, and that's you know those are just expectations of life. So you have to really work hard to kind of earn that flexibility, but the flexibility is a really, really, really nice perk of owning a business. Oh, hundred percent. So I think that's like the biggest takeaway is, you know, like you have to be so cognizant of what the work that you're doing and it might not feel like you're successful, but be really proud of yourself and celebrate successes because Absolutely. those moments are the things that you look back on. And that's what gets you through like that. I It's like the, uh, they talk about dopamine, like it's the dopamine release that you get from landing that big client. And then you go six months and you're like, Mm, you know, like we're not where I want to be. And you look back, you're like, we landed this big client. We're double where we were. Why are we not like yeah. super pumped about this? We're wanting yeah. to double our double. Like what? Like what other business yeah, can yeah. you double? And you're sitting here like, we're not successful because we're not 10 times what we want to do. And you're like, double growth is positive growth. Like, you know, if you're keeping up with it. So that's where it's just, it's easy to be a little unrealistic with yourself. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a great way to close off. Um, you know, be it's important to just work hard, but earn that flexibility and be real, realistic with your uh, your expectations of your business. So, Caleb, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. If anyone wants to reach out to you either personally or for your business, where can they find you online? They can find our, our new website. It's uh, goclubcreative.com. Uh, Club Creative. You can know how to spell it if you can't. Uh, you can call me later and we can figure out how to spell it. Um, but you can go there. We have a link. If you're like a business that's looking for marketing, we uh, offer free consultations. So our big thing is we're a very slimy salesman. So if we tell you that it's going to be a sales, you know, initial consultation will sell you hard. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> no, we, we on there, we offer like a free consultation. So if we can help a business owner somehow provide some direction and not sell and say, Hey, here's where you could take your business. And if we can provide help, we would love to, but we have, we, we feel comfortable in our, our skills and abilities that if we're a good fit, we are. And if, if not, we can provide some really good expertise on what to do. Um, and then obviously I love LinkedIn. So my, uh, LinkedIn is Caleb Roach, R O C H E M B A. Um, and they can find me working at club creative and I love connecting with new people. Perfect. And I will link your new website. I'll link your LinkedIn uh, down below so people can reach out to you. Again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And we will see you next time on the Rest of Us podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Rest of Us podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider leaving a rating or review on the podcasting platform of your choice. It really helps me see that you are enjoying the episode and also helps other people see the podcast. Also, please consider giving a follow on social media. All the links will be in the show notes down below. 
Also in the show notes, there is a link to the rest of us newsletter. This is a, a platform where I'll send out different takeaways from the episode, resources that were mentioned in the episode, and also uh, notifications about new episodes. So make sure you click the link to subscribe there. So episodes are released weekly, and I will see you then on the next episode of the Rest of Us podcast. 